And eventually I burned to death, yeah. Welcome to the Rock Paper Shotgun Electronic Wireless Show. I'm Brendan. This is episode 30. It's the 24th of January. Uh, I am here with Matt Cox. Hello. And Adam Smith. Hello. Both very firm hellos. Hello. That was a firm handshake of a hello. was. Thank you both. My sound quality might be a little bit bad this week because I've changed places and... Um, it's a bit hollow sounding, but never mind. Change places. You're now living in a pineapple under the sea, right? Sound waves work differently in Spain, I believe. <laughs> Everything works differently here. Some things just don't work. <laughs> we are talking this week about survival games and the whole genre of survival games. As in, do we like them anymore? Why did? Why are they still here? Are we sick of them? Do they have a future? Can they go away now? Etc. Answer one of those questions, please. Well, you've answered one of them because you obviously still like them because you just reviewed Subnautica and you loved it. So there's a spoiler. (laughs) You definitely still like survival games. The last one that I really loved was The Long Dark, um, which I really do love. Um, my my thesis on survival games, I'll present it right now so you can chew over it, mm-hmm. is that as a genre, it's very open-ended, you know, often literally open world style. Um, and that makes it incredibly vulnerable to feature creep. Um, and I think that's why so many survival games spend a lot of time in early access. It's why so many of them have crafting and base building and combat and all the rest of it. My feeling for what survival games need to do, the next kind of generation of them, um, is to start focusing on uh, a couple of areas. And it's one of the reasons I like The Long Dark. I think it's very good at that. You don't build bases in The Long Dark. You find structures in the world. Um, you collect and you forage. Uh, and it's based around the cold. It's based around weather. And I think that that, that gives it a focus that a lot of them lack. Uh, as soon as I load up a game and it's like, here's your crafting screen, here's your inventory, here's all these kind of floating blueprint templates for things that you can build in the world and you need to collect all this stuff for, I just often feel overwhelmed. And I think that that, that feature creep problem is such a huge thing with them. So that's, that's my feeling. They need to get smaller and more focused. So you feel like... When you say feature creep, though, do you mean... I find it hard to think of survival games that I think most of them don't do enough new, if that makes sense. Oh, see, 
Yeah, I see. I like. I mean, you say I, the long dark, but that's a really good example of a survival game that takes one strength, uh, like one aspect of survival, surviving in a harsh climate, mm. and then runs with it. Like Subnautica, for instance, which I think is an exit, like probably one of the best examples you can give of, of a survival game to anyone who's never seen one before. Um, is the same kind of thing. It's just one giant environment of water, basically, and runs with this idea of not really having you fight anything. Yeah, yeah. And that it all works very well. Those things work very well whenever they focus on something. But when you talk about feature creep, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it would be feature creep. I would say that they're bloated with things that are not none of which are interesting enough or do anything differently. I think that's true. I think that there is a tendency in development toward feature creep. I look at things like, um, well, even The Long Dark, if you look at the roadmap they have for that, they want to start adding more NPCs. They want to start adding seasons now, which kind of takes it away from what it is, you know, to add seasons, which is fine. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I think it's an exciting idea. And they've they've got to a point where they have this incredibly strong finished game that they can build on um but i i i think that there's often the case where it's like they have a specific strength and i'll use an example here which is the forest uh the forest is really good and i like it a lot but its initial pitch i guess was it was a survival game that had a real horror element to it um it's about being hunted by cannibals and um, and it was incredibly creepy and incredibly tense. And I went back and played it again recently, and it's much better than it was. It's much more polished. There's a lot more to do. But it feels like it's lost a little bit of that initial pitch. It feels like I'm playing it, and I'm like, this is a lot like a lot of other survival games now with that element to it rather than it being that thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Matt? Do you like survival games at all? Well, yeah. See, I've been a bit quiet because it's been ages since I've actually played a survival game and i think the last one actually was the long dark which i really liked for like about two hours and Mm. then it i mean this i think this is my problem with all survival games i've got to the point where they all feel too much like work and i'm kind of hoping um so i've read your subnautica review brandy and i'm hoping that subnautica doesn't feel like that but I mean, yeah, like I it I can't remember playing something like the initial wave of them, like as I mean we talked about how a lot of them have focused on crafting and stuff. I think that has just sort of I'm I'm done with that basic feedback loop of going and collecting a thing to build another thing and then sort of building better and better things by sort of harvesting things in the environment. I feel like they need to do something over and above that, or or even even if they do do something over and above that, just that fundamental aspect of it isn't quite compelling enough for me now. And um, so well, was, sorry, go on. Well, I was thinking one way of maybe that might work for that is um, like any game which it's really fun to move around in, like is just. I mean, yeah, that that's a principle that applies to just making any game good. But I, I was struggling to think of a survival game, and maybe you guys have an example of one, 
where just basically just moving around is really is good in it. So you I mean moving around try... like like in a kind of open world Spider Man kind of way. Yeah, I mean like grappling hooks and just cause or mm. um, jetpacks or skiing and tribes or whatever. Like if they could tie that into how you are exploring and surviving in an environment, that I'd be really excited to play something like that. Do you know what you should play? There's an island on the popular Nintendo Switch game, Zelda, The Breath of the Wild, Good called God. Eventide Island, <laughs> in which you lose all of your <laughs> you lose all of your gear and you just have to play and you can't save and it's like hardcore Zelda, but it's because it's fun to move around in Zelda anyway. So there's your recommendation for a survival game. It's one tiny fraction of the latest survival, uh, Zelda game, sorry. There's your recommendation for a survival game. I'm sorry, PC gamers! <laughs> I, I think there's something interesting in this because I think that one of the things that survival games often do is that they, um, they usually, if not always, in my experience, uh, present the way that you interact with the world in a very functional way. You know, you walk up to things and you press a button to use them or to harvest them or to combine them. And exactly. they're not very kinetic at all. I think that they, they that is absolutely a feature of them. It's like you're in the world in the sense that you're uh, scavenging from it and um, using things, but you don't feel like a real presence in the world in some ways. I think that's, that's very true. And it made me think, what game would I like to have with most of it stripped out so it became a pure survival game? And you can throw rotten fruit in me if you want, but... Dying Light as a survival game, I think, would really work because I think an urban setting is something that I've not really seen in a survival game. Um, that has great movement um, and it already has a lot of scavenging and crafting uh, and finding a place that's safe. You know, it has all these elements of survival. I mean, it kind of is a survival horror game, just right at the action end of that. But I'd love to see something like that. There's that old Ubisoft game as well um, that I nearly called The Last of Us, but you, you know the one, the... The Last of Us style Ubisoft game where you're the person after oh, the catastrophe. Yes. Um, I am alive. I am alive, you know, yeah, which, very, which has elements. Yeah. I liked I Am Alive, um, despite it being a completely flawed and just unfinished game. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like if you took something like that, I do think an urban survival game is what, what I would like to see next in some ways. Because I think it'd get you away from, you know, the tree punching problems, you know, just mm. immediately. Um and uh, the the idea of having structures around you that you're exploring and surviving in is is very different. Yeah, I I was thinking about like my ideal setting for a survival game, and this is um partly because I was playing um Seven the Days Long Gone, which mm. does the same thing as Tides of Numenera, where there is this like ancient civilization that has left like lots of technical art technological artifacts around, and I was thinking that would that could work really nicely as a survival thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're finding these strange devices and trying to work out what they do and you know, craft them together in interesting ways. That could be a really interesting way of mixing crafting up. Yeah, that I think that's that's a good point is that like a lot of survival games you are punching rocks and trees. I mean if you take Rust for example, you know everything that you're dealing with. The only thing you don't know is how to make them very often and you just end up looking that up on a wiki rather than finding it out through discovery because you already know what a 
what a club is you know you just don't know how to make the club but in something like you're suggesting that the sense of discovering new things is good it's part of the reason why i do like subnautica as well Mm -hmm. i'm going to keep bringing it up because it's pretty exemplary of the genre um because a lot of the time you'll come across things and you just don't know what it is and you have to if it's a creature or a plant or something you have to scan it and then you have to read the little entry about it and see uh, i'll give you one example it's not a huge spoiler but if you don't want to know anything about the game then just don't listen for the next 30 seconds there are these little things called floaters and they are small <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> they're small <laughs> small pink kind of nuggets they look like little like single cell organisms but magnified and they they just hold rocks up in the sea and you take them all off the rocks and then the rocks fall down and you kind of figure out what they are just by playing with them and scanning them and reading about them but when you first see them you're like what is this weird thing is it a plant is it an animal it turns out it's like a weird uh what do you call it when two creatures coexist symbiotic Symbi- symbiotic yeah symbiotic creature um and i think like if you can have that sense of discovery in a survival game or in any game it, it just works so much better than if you're you know putting water in a bottle you know yeah yeah i think that the first time i played subnautica the whole thing of seeing the ship sinking in the distance it was just like okay this is amazing you know like it it has a really amazing spectacle to it and i think a lot of that is just the idea of being lost in a completely alien place is is so compelling it's way more compelling than being lost in a forest or a field Mm. i really need to give it a proper go because um i've tried it but i've made the mistake of trying it in vr which oh no sounds potentially amazing but it it made me so ill to the point where when I tried to play it on a normal screen, I got ill then as well. And like, that's just something, if I want to play some Nausicaa, I'm just going to have to power through that now. Because I've got that with other games before, where it's like, I associate it with feeling ill. And yeah, whenever I play it, it just brings those feelings back. Do you know, I've got that with Jet Li movies, because I watched like a marathon of Jet Li movies when I had a really bad flu once. And I, anytime I see Enter the Dragon, or not Enter the Dragon, um, Kiss of the Dragon, uh, it may, just makes me feel ill in my stomach. If you ran into Jet Li in real life, would you just be sick? I'd just vomit on him. I'd just vomit <laughs> all over his trousers. He'd be like, what are you doing, Brendan? He wouldn't say that. He doesn't know me. <laughs> um, in my version of this event you're wearing a name tag though <laughs> what are you doing he squints at the name tag Brendan, Brendan. <laughs> um, oh no yes uh, no I think you should power through it Matt because um, I also kind of didn't write it off but I put off playing it for a long time because I kept I think I kept mixing it up with Abzu and I kept looking at it and thinking that looks really like nice and kind of you know calming and tranquil and a good place to be and i quite like my survival games to offer a little bit of um you know uh, peril yeah peril exactly um but it, it's not super fluffy or nice and it but it's not also very perilous it's like a really good balance between the two um and you do get to choose as well if you don't like the kind of grind just turn, just play in the mode that lets you keep your food and water off. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, yeah. And that'll eliminate like a whole bunch of the grind. It might be instructed to talk about my most, the worst possible idea for a survival game I can think of. And I actually <laughs> thought this while I was watching it, which was, uh, you know, the film The Martian with Matt Damon? Yes. We, yes. I was watching that and I thought, God, someone will make a game like this and I might have to play it. Uh, because you, you know, know it's what? what sorry go on it's just the idea of doing really mundane shit just to be able to move around a single room you know like that's that's my nightmare survival game i want them to be really punchy and have stuff happening i don't want the kind of attempt to do real survival and hard science it's just i don't want to be growing potatoes for months you know and i'm sure some people really want that like um but to me, I want I want drama and I want real peril. I want monsters and I want, you know, catastrophes. I want the nighttime to be really frightening. And yeah, I don't I don't want to be measuring the temperature of my potatoes. You know, it's interesting that you say you don't want. I, I, well, now that I've heard you expand on it, it's not that it's set on Mars that you disagree with. No, not at all. No. Okay, no. because there are way too many survival games have come out in recent couple of years like the last couple of years that have been set on mars or like a red planet and yeah, yeah it is it, it's just becoming very fast becoming a cliche yeah um, it's also I think if really you're a developer you should just steer away from mars go to any other planet you'll be fine not <laughs> mars okay if i see another survive on mars email i, I just I, my eyes glaze over i can't deal with it a survival game on like a properly alien planet. I mean, I guess that's Subnautica. Mm, yeah. I'm just thinking of Subnautica on land, but that that'd be cool. I can't. Yeah. I can't think of a survival game on a. Well, I mean, the the, the Ark offers some of that because they're prehistoric creatures rather than alien ones. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I understand what you mean. Yes. Yeah, so... I mean, it, it gets back to what you were saying with the when you look at a thing, you just go, what is that like that sounds yeah. really compelling to me mm. there was there was a game called the solus project it's it's strange because it's a survival game but it's got a very strong central narrative so it kind of feels like it's in between a first person adventure and a survival game you can just spend loads of time crafting things and messing around but there's also you're trying to get to places on this planet it got really mixed reviews and i didn't love it um myself because i felt it was trying to do both things and not doing either particularly well, but the opening is extraordinary. You just, you are in an escape pod, you crash on this alien planet and there's this amazing moment. Just you look out across this sea and you can see one moon that's like coming over the horizon. That's just so enormous. It's just taking up almost your entire vision. And then bits of the spaceship that you just ejected from just start raining down from the sky and smashing into the water and it's just incredible. It's just such an extraordinary sequence. Um, and, and then you just have to try and stay alive. Um, and and that's really good. And then the problem with it is, is it then sends you underground into a cave system um, to get to the next area. And it's just a completely different game. It's suddenly this uh, survival horror game where you're in a pitch black place. You just have limited batteries and they recharge, but you, know, you keep getting plunged into darkness. And there's scary noises and you're solving weird puzzles in these kind of temple structures and it's just not as compelling as the stuff on the surface at all and i never got past that because i just wanted to be back on the surface you know messing around but yeah i mean that that sense of being somewhere completely alien is so strong at the beginning of that 
I miss it. Yeah. Um, I just want odd animals, really. Odd animals. Um, I love odd animals in survival games. It's one of the reasons why, despite the game having a whole load of problems, Rain World, I thought was um, really exceptional in a lot of ways because so many of the animals were odd and you didn't know what they did until you got killed by one. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and that game, I don't know if I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everyone, but... Um, it, it does have that sense of survival and discovery mixing together, even if it is way too unforgiving uh, for a lot of people um, and not probably not traditionally a survival game. But yes, are there any other examples of things that have been done so badly or so good that everyone should know about? I just think, again, I, I, I think I'm hung up on the idea of survival games that are, you know, uh, post-disaster, which a lot of them obviously are. Uh, Subnautica is, isn't it? Like, you know, that's you're the survivor. Of, you are it's a crash, isn't it, again? It's yeah, it's a crash, yeah. yeah. And um, the forest is a plane crash. The long dark is some unexplained event that's shut down all power and stuff. You know, like, it's, it's such a common theme, but I do think it, it works. And I think that one of the things that... that is important is to create the sense of isolation early on um, because so often I think the the boredom or well, I don't you didn't use the word boredom Matt so I shouldn't put that word on it but the, the sense that you get to where it's just like okay I kind of understand all the things I'm doing here and it's become a grind it's become work I think one of the ways to get away from that is to, is to create that sense of pressure and the sense of time running out for you um, one of the things that I like about The Long Dark is that you can escape from that, you can get past that and get to the point where you're quite comfortable um, but there's always a sense that supplies are dwindling and eventually you're going to have to take a risk but I do prefer it when there's that hand pressing against my back and pushing me back into danger, you know, like where you can't get too comfortable. I think that's really important. It's funny because, I, I mean, I was going to say with The Long Dark it sounds like that stepping away from that with seasons and npcs and a story mode yeah the story the story mode isn't wholly successful um and john wrote about that and i think i agree with most of what he wrote i think i prefer it i think it's better than what his opinion was you know i've got more time for it because i think it's doing interesting things in the terms of making you move through a world because i think that's again one of the problems of survival games is if you get too cosy, then what's the compulsion to go and explore? A good example of that is Project Zomboid. Have either of you played that? No. Been around forever now. It's a um, um, isometric zombie survival game. And I really love it up to a point. And the point where I stopped loving it is when I barricaded the windows and the doors, I've got some food supplies, and I'm just sitting inside, and there's loads of zombies outside, and I know they can't get in. And I'm just like, what do I do now? And I just get bored. So eventually I just take risks and get myself killed because I'm bored. Whoa. Hey. Hey. Hi, Charlie. Boredom, dog. Then the wolves come to the door. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I think that that downtime is a real risk because the thing is, it's like by being successful at the game, by being good at the game, you almost get punished because the game becomes more tedious. But Project Zomboid was the game, I think that was that, um, where at the start, you, your wife was there and injured. 
Yeah. And you could either take care of her or just like smother her. And yeah. Smother her. Oh my god! Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, that's interesting. But um, <laughs> it's a thing. The uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that works as a. No, it's just. Char- I I just make. thought it was a kind of, from what it looks like, a kind of fun survival game that you play isometrically. <laughs> I didn't realize that you had to smother your wife if you <laughs> didn't want to share your sardines with her. Yeah. You, you oh no, no, it's because she's gonna turn. Oh. So, yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think you can like try and look after her. Yeah. And, um, if you get medicine, is... then it staves it off, but eventually they turn. So. Yeah. Right. I was just interested in the idea of like looking after someone else as a driving force for a survival game. That's a, that's a good one. That's mm. that's partly what the um, uh, Dead State tried to do. Is that is that the one Dead State? Uh, State of Decay. No, not State of Decay. Uh, I think I do mean Dead State, which was the the RPG one uh, by Double Bear. Are they called? State of Decay was the third person one where you walk around yeah. in times no, and stuff, and mean, you build yeah. like a little party and. I do mean Dead State, yeah, which is uh, the one by uh, Brian Nanny Mitsoda. Um, and it's a, looks like a kind of traditional role-playing game, you know, a little bit Baldur's Gate-esque, although it's 3D, uh, more like Fallout or something. Like, a, I mean, isometric Fallout. Um, and, yeah, and you have, like, a little base camp of survivors, and a lot of the compulsion there is to go out to get antibiotics and stuff like that for them. You're kind of, like, looking after them. Um, I was really, really hyped that I was in development for ages, um, and I was so excited for it, and I didn't, don't think it works very well at all, which is such a shame. Did it not work because you think the idea, like the actual hassle of looking after that many people doesn't work, or just the way it was executed? And that yeah, I think, I think it's a combination of two things. I think the concept is, is very strong. I think that um, conceptually it was, let's do that kind of, uh, the walking dead thing of having a group of survivors in a world that's gone rotten. Um, the problem is it's, it's, I like turn-based games, but it's turn-based combat, which I don't think they managed to make work with zombies. It just means that you just sneak around a lot. And then when a horde sees you, the turn takes forever because there's so many of them moving. So it just had problems like that, but also it just the actual systems of it just all felt a little bit too, um, weary you know like you were spending a lot of time just clicking around on isometric maps to find a piece of bread you know it's not actually fun it turns out for the future uh a game that sounds a little bit like that that you have liked the look of is frostpunk oh yeah yeah um yeah. which has been i think the developers described that as like a community survival game you're not yeah, trying it's... to survive yourself you're trying to keep the whole this whole settlement alive basically yeah, in a, and in a frozen post-apocalyptic wasteland. Th- that's another thing that I think is going to be interesting with survival games because when we say survival now, I think we're we're talking about a very specific kind of game, which I'm sure people understand what we mean by that. Games with you know often with crafting, with hunger and thirst meters and all that stuff, uh, and hunting or foraging or whatever. Um, I think that. The one that one of the ways it's going to get interesting is when people start to splice out with different genres. There's already a kind of RPG roguelike survival game, which is the Unreal World, which I've talked about quite a lot before and written about, uh, which is the um, Scandinavian Iron Age survival game uh, where you're just out living your life and it's turn-based, uh, top-down roguelike. Um, I think we'll start getting more things like that. I think we'll start getting you know actual 
you know, the sci-fi survival games, the urban survival games, the third-person survival games, um, the uh, strategic survival games, tactical survival games. I think people start taking all these elements and putting them into different genres because they understand how they work now. Uh, okay, we're going to stop us talking about survival games for now. We'll come back to it later because we've asked our readers uh, whether they think that survival games should go away or not. But for now, we spoke to... Charlie Cleveland, who's the director on Subnautica, we've put up a review, we've been covering it all this week. It feels like Subnautica week to me because it's all I've been working on this week. But we also did some quickfire questions with him, so you can listen to those right now. Okay, I'm here with Charlie Charlie Cleveland from uh, the Subnautica developers. Mm-hmm. Hello. And we're going to do some quick-fire questions. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. What's your favorite coral reef? <laughs> uh, the one in Cozumel, Mexico. It's the only one I've seen. What's tastier, cooked peeper or salted bladderfish? <laughs> salted bladderfish. Would you rather have a trip down the Mariana Trench or a lifetime supply of marinara pizzas? <laughs> Uh, marinara pizzas. Why? I'm a talophile, so and scared of the water. Would you rather live 20,000 leagues under the sea or listen to Disney's Under the Sea 20,000 times? Oh, come on. That's obvious. Live under the sea forever. You just said you were afraid of the ocean. I know, but I love it too. You know, I do both. I'm complicated. Why is there no multiplayer in Subnautica? Because we decided... Oh, God, I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> This question, that's all I get. No matter how many times I answer it, it just comes back ten times more. As any seasoned game developer knows, if you have a single-player game and you try to add multiplayer later, for 90% of the game genres, it's a horrible, life-sucking task that will take you years. That's the answer. That's fine. Um, who would win in the following fights? Moby Dick versus the Kraken? <laughs> oh, is that the question? Uh, Kraken, obviously. What about the shark from Jaws versus ten sharks from Deep Blue Sea? Uh, Jaws? I feel like I, I don't really know the answers to these questions. Not authoritatively. You can just you can just say who you want to win. Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing. The alien liquid metal sphere from the 1998 movie Sphere versus Nemo from Finding Nemo. <laughs> uh, anything from Michael Crichton is going to beat anything from Pixar. So Fair enough. Okay, final matchup. Last question. The Leviathan and Subnautica versus an all-powerful king, as described by Thomas Hobbes in his 1561 book of political philosophy, Leviathan. Uh, I don't know the latter, so we are trying to sell games here, so obviously the Reaper Leviathan. But only, I assume that's a Reaper Leviathan. We have a lot of Leviathans in the game. Oh yes, of course, and it wouldn't be a reef back. Yeah, and it's not the, the gentle uh, mother in the game as well that you may not, your viewers may not know about. I haven't even, I don't even know that one. Nah, you don't even know about that one. Not yet. You will. Charlie Cleveland, thank you very much. Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. What's next on the agenda here? Let me look. What have we been playing this week? Because we haven't just been dossing around in survival games, have we? I haven't been dossing around in survival games at all. No. Mm-hmm. I've been dossing around in narrative advent tra- narrative transhumanist adventure 
game, the Red Strings Club. Tell us more about the Red Strings Club. Okay, so it's a game about a lot of things in which you do a lot of things. So, <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm getting to an actual point. <laughs> um, the setup for it is it's in a cyberpunk world where uh, mega corporations are mainly in power though um one interesting thing about it is the government is still knocking around so it doesn't quite go full-blown dystopia and i think that's quite central to like the major thing that's interesting about it because uh what you're you're playing is um this bartender called donovan and a freelance hacker called brandes or however you pronounce his name and they're ostensibly trying to foil this uh, mega corporation's evil plot. But what's what really made it work for me is that the whole time I was playing, everything we were doing to uncover that plot and try and undo what they're doing, I don't actually know if that was the best thing to do. Part of the reason it really, really worked for me was because I kept asking myself that question. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about what the plot is <laughs> yeah tell tell us why why they're going against they're going against a corporation okay right? so this corporation wants to put out something called social psyche is it psyche social welfare three of those words in some order <laughs> um <laughs> but what that will do is basically remove and you find this out pretty early and it says it on the steam page uh it'll remove depression and hate from people's minds and so like donovan and crew like call that brainwashing and obviously it's potentially really problematic like they need to dig in and find out exactly what's going on but what's really interesting about it is this evil plan isn't i don't think actually that evil it's potentially problematic and you need to look at exactly how it's how it's handled but the essential idea of changing the human baseline so that we're not locked into these extremely negative emotions is like that's an idea i'm really interested in like i did this stuff at uni um writing about transhumanism and stuff and so like seeing that explored in a game was really exciting to me and like one problem i had was just like this is a game that talks about transhumanism and morality and artificial intelligence and it's like it couldn't be more tailored to like things I am particularly interested in. So basically what the corporation is doing is they're coming up with like the ultimate antidepressant and you're playing as three characters who don't want that because they think it's a bit more dodgy than just an antidepressant, presumably. Yes. I mean that's 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 the gist of it and going into the specifics, I mean it gets a bit I mean, it gets a bit spoilery, but I will say this because it's one of the most interesting things about it to me is that it ties that into... So the, the question is, you can't... That seems really problematic. How do we decide one person that will you know, decide how to change the way humans work? And it answers that question um, by talking about superintelligent AI. Okay, don't tell me anymore because I actually want to play this and it sounds, it sounds really interesting. Well... Matt said all this, and that's that's all well and good. All these big lofty ideas. It's also a game where you play a bartender, so I'm in. <laughs> and it's a game where you play as a hacker, so I'm in. Exactly, exactly. I think it's got everything covered. 
one of the things that seemed interesting to me, and Matt mentioned this in the review, is that, uh, you know, your bartender chap is like, you know, I don't think this is okay. And he's mixing drinks that mess with people's emotions. I mean, not, I don't just mean he's giving them alcohol. You're literally mixing drinks to make people act in certain ways so you can get information out of them. And it's yeah, like, so, yeah. Yeah. I haven't said like, that's the actual game of it. Partly is partly it's a mini game where you're moving a circle around to, yeah, bring out certain emotions in people. But the emotions you choose to bring out are like, based on how you want to manipulate people and how you best think you're going to be able to get information uh, out of them. So like, in the review, I um, compared it to the persuasion minigame from Deus Ex, where like the central part of that is sort of trying to re- get a read on the person and like figure out what they'll best respond to. Um, and yeah, like that, independently of the super interesting subject matter, is... Yeah, that's just a compelling game to play. Yeah, I'm in. Me too. Um, I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very pleased that you liked it. Like, I, and I do want to check it out now because I didn't. It's made by um, a group of people. Oh, what's the what's the studio called? This deconstruct the team. deconstruct team. That's right. And the previous game that they made was Gods Will Be Watching, which was um, a very their art style is very pixel art. Uh, looks really gorgeous, really detailed. Um, but Gods Will Be Watching, I find really, really bad. <laughs> Everybody did. It was just, <laughs> no. it was so, dis- it was such a disappointment because it was about basically repeating the same kind of parts over and over again and dying. And it made all these really, really fundamental game design mistakes, like, you know, checkpoints that were too far back and just repeating some repeating dialogue until you got the right combination of dialogue and stuff like that and getting game over screens all the time um and i'm glad i mean do any of those problems creep up again in the red strings club or have have they kind of clear no it's 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 super different yeah i i didn't play gods will be watching because it sounded interesting and then everyone said it was terrible um but yeah no there are like there's no fail states in this it's just you get more or less information out of people and things just move along see there all right sorted i feel like i feel like that was the major um pitfall and if they've managed to avoid it then super um what have you been playing adam i've been playing celeste which is um new game from the towerfall people i say people because i think i thought towerfall was one person i'm not sure if this is just published by matt thornton because uh, I think it's a different team, but it's a small team. Uh, it looks a little bit like Towerfall. It's a um, side-on, platformy, pixely thing. Um, it ties in slightly to the survival stuff because it's about climbing a mountain and it's very cold. Um, and it's I thought it was going to be um, um, much more of a tricky platformer with very tight controls about you know getting from the bottom of the screen to the top of the screen you know it's ice climbers kind of you know updated uh but it's actually really really story based um so it starts off when you're um a young woman called madeline i say young woman i thought she was a girl for a long time but she's not i think she's supposed to be older but they're very very pixely people so it's very hard to tell uh but she's i think she's like 18 or 19 um and she's decided she's going to climb this mountain and uh, it starts off quite simple, simple jumping puzzles, and all you can do is jump, and you can do a little uh, dash to give yourself a little extra boost in a direction, but you can do it once, and then you have to land to recharge. It's really nice, 
uh, your hair is uh, red and it turns blue when you've used it. And then when you land, you kind of warm up again and it goes red again, which is really cool. Uh, and you can also cling to the side of a wall, but your stamina then goes down over time. So you can't just climb. You'll eventually slip and fall. And then what it does is every new stage of the mountain introduces a new system. So you get like high winds and you get um, weird mirror worlds and doppelgangers and just all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, and it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's one of the best platform games I've ever played. Um, and it's really, really difficult, but it also has an assist mode. And you can use that to give yourself, uh, you can make yourself invincible. You can uh, have a button that slows down time if your reactions aren't great. You can get infinite stamina so you can cling on as long as you want. You can skip entire levels if you're not enjoying them. Um, so it's it's very, very tricky and challenging, but it's also very welcoming. And the actual menu option you choose assist says, this is a very difficult game. We want it to be a difficult game, but we also want people to experience it. So this mode's here for you and you can customize exactly what you want from it. <laughs> the best possible approach that is super open-minded yeah it's brilliant yeah and um and there's also another wonderful thing so so i won't say too much the review will be up tomorrow when the game's out and yeah i adore it and i'll go into a lot more detail there about all the stuff i love about the story and how it's told uh but on the difficulty side as well there's this great thing on the first world there's these little strawberries and they're the only kind of bonus thing that you can see and as is usually the case, the first couple are quite easy to find. And I thought, oh, I'll get every single one because that's good. And then very quickly, <laughs> I was like, I cannot do this. I cannot get every single one. So I started skipping them. And in between levels, you get these little postcards from your mother uh, as, as like the loading screen. They have little hints on. And one of the first ones you get just says, oh, there are strawberries on the mountain uh, that you can collect if you want to. But don't worry. No one's going to judge you if you don't. And they don't get you anything. It's just for fun. <laughs> And I was just like, that's brilliant. Like, I don't have to worry if I'm unlocking something. I don't have to worry if it's, it, you know, it's just like, no, they're just there if you want an extra challenge. That it's is fine. very, very much the um, what the shiny trinket school of philosophy from uh, VVVVVV. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, they're yeah. shiny trinkets yeah. and they do nothing. They're just shiny trinkets. You are just being a magpie whenever you try and get these things. And that's fine. I've played the first few levels and one little thing i like that it does with the strawberries is some of them have wings yeah yeah they fly away if you dash yeah which is like sometimes you'll come to a screen and it's quite nice being like oh okay so this is a different challenge and a different puzzle it's how do i do this without using one of my core abilities like yeah that. it it just continually does that i mean it took me i think six hours six and a half hours to finish um and i will absolutely go through it again to try and just do it better you know because it is a very skill-based game despite all the story stuff and everything else it's uh it's a very very challenging game uh and some of the rooms i just look at them and i'm just like i don't know how to do this you know when i first looked at them i just there were a couple of times when i was completely stumped it's not quite puzzles it is more reflex based but but it has that quality to it where you think these are the things that i can do these are the ways that this room works and you just have to try and piece together how to get from one side to another uh, but yeah, I mean, it's. I thought it was really moving, uh, really honest in the way that it tells its story as well, which goes to some incredibly difficult places, uh, but does it so deftly that um, that it just feels very warm and yeah, almost comforting. Even though it's it's it is oh, dark's the wrong word, um, but um, but yeah, it goes to some difficult places, uh, but but does it in in a way that I found just really kind of inspirational. Yeah, excellent. Brilliant. I was just going to say, have you tried any of the 
because there are the B-side versions of the levels that are the ridiculously hard versions of them. I was wondering if you tried any of those. Yeah, so the I don't I haven't unlocked those on the complete version. Uh, they're in the free version. Uh, I think to unlock them, I needed to finish something at the end that I didn't finish because there's like an epilogue and then another epilogue after that. Uh See, I, I found, like, a cassette on one level. Yeah. And that said, B-side unlocked. Yeah, so... you not just get to play them after that? Uh, possibly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they I did the cassette on the free. I didn't do it on this version because I was rushing through because I was reviewing, so, yeah. Yeah, so I skipped the stuff that I'd already played, so I didn't pick everything up. But, yeah, I think the cassette might be it, and then it just unlocks it. Yeah. But, the, sorry, the, the thing I was going to say was I, I said tomorrow, but actually that'll be today. It's out today. Um... <laughs> I'm recording this in the past. Uh, so it's out today and the review will be up today. Super. I'll just talk about what I've been playing very quickly because we don't have a whole lot of time. But I've been playing Slay the Spire, which uh, you've written a review of um, on the website, Adam. Uh, it is the card game, deck building card game roguelike. And it is pretty good. Uh, just Larry David over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um, it's very uh it's very kind of easy to grasp uh basically you get um a couple of characters you get one character to begin with and you get a new one unlocked it's still in early access so there's only these two characters to go through the these um three quite large levels um and each level is made up of either fights or you find a chest or you have some interaction but the way the card system works is basically you just get a handful of cards and every time you defeat an enemy you get a new card and it might let you do things like headbutt them and draw a card or you might like make them weaken so that they take more damage you might flex so that you get stronger and then you drop kick them in the head and that does things it it, it you know it, it's got all these different uh little mechanisms and things that will be very very familiar to ccg players or card game players um but it's all single player there's no uh you're not asked to go and find a good deck so that you can compete. And every time you die, you have to make a new deck from scratch, basically. As you go, you unlock more cards. This is all better explained in your review, probably. <laughs> not not <laughs> seeking to get into the technical details, but... It, it, I just say it isn't a review, because it's still an early access Oh, okay. Well. All right. Well, yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. like a impressions, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's super, and I think that like, I just wanted to repeat the recommendation... I'll tell you one thing that that I think that I don't know if I did mention it you is the writing's really good, right? And all the little encounters. It's quite nice, yeah. I mean, like, I it's like very, it. very like, minimal. There's no... Yeah, um, yeah. There's no... Like, nobody goes off on one or does anything, but they'll just say little comments at you. Yeah, and some of it's quite funny and some of it's quite strange and it just... It works, I think. I mean, uh, yeah, it never gets too heavy. Like, is it... Because I didn't... I don't even really know what the setting is. I mean, you're trying to climb to the top of a spire... Um, to kill loads of stuff and you start off in dungeons and then you're in a city and like I don't really know and no one ever really explains that you just run into like weird little people have you seen the goblin that does the game show yes there's a goblin that does a, a game show spin wheel I think I wrote about it earlier and um, he, he also does a card game as well where you get to match cards and if you it's, it's basically that match two from you know Feastine cards game that everybody has played but if you find two matching ones you get to keep the card yeah um and uh yeah it's just really fun like um, i mean like you said the writing one of the there's a, a merchant who shows up over and over again oh, yeah. you get to buy cards or relics from him which increase which offer like a permanent um, boost to you somehow 
uh, and he always like even if you stay there for a long time just like looking at all his wares he'll just say things to you like oh i like your hair or you know he'll, he'll just be saying like you look very strong <laughs> and it's just a weird um weird like things uh one of my favorite uh bits of dialogue in it is there are these horrible crow people and they they're just all wearing feathers and a big like crow skull i don't know what it is um, and they do an incantation every time you start fighting them, and it means they get stronger every turn. So you basically have to kill them as quickly as possible. Mm. And um, if you come across one of them, they'll go, caw, caw, and they'll say, my powers are unmatched. And then whenever you kill them, they go, my powers were matched. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think like that's wonderful. It's just such a small little thing, but it made me laugh whenever I first saw it. And uh, yeah. yeah, I just really like that, they, you know, They've not taken it seriously at all. They've just run with being silly. Yeah, I played it last evening, and yeah, I really like the like the, I really like the writing too. Um, but like, what really stood out was just as a smart deck builder. So like, after every fight, you get to add a new card, and it's like a simple. It's it distills it down to like just a really simple decision. It's yeah. like, what card do you want now? Which of these three will work? Um, but it means like over time, you can build with simple stuff and not much going on you can build quite still build quite complicated and smart decks so like my hat um i'll, I'll just say it now i beat it on my first go yeah no you didn't <laughs> did you i did it took me friggin' i, I played about like 25 nuts. hours before i beat it <laughs> <laughs> i mean so like i think what really there was a central thing about my deck that let me do it um which was so you get these powers which like abilities that you'll get like once the card comes up you get to use that power for like the whole of the whole of the combat encounter yeah and so i had one that meant i dealt damage every time i blocked and then i found this item in a shop that let me pick a power card that i could start every combat encounter with so it meant i started every encounter with this thing such that i was doing loads of damage right from like consistently throughout the fight every single time i blocked so i could build around blocking loads and that didn't hurt me too much because i was still doing damage whenever i was doing it and not dying it felt like a a smart build i'd done that was also i'd also been really lucky to come across like the exact item that made that work yeah but for for contrast you can also make decks that are hugely hugely bloated and the smart thing is is that you you sometimes get the option to remove a card like the, the the merchant always sells you the card removal service so every time you meet him you can pay him to take away one card it gets more expensive every time you do it as well so you if you want to get rid of all your crappy starting cards once you build up a good deck it's kind of impossible because uh he just keeps putting the price up every time you burn a card because it's devious on that yeah and you can make a deck that is just the rubbish comes up but it got to the point where you there are some points when you get offered three cards four cards sometimes at the end of a at the end of a fight and um you look at them all and you just go, nah. And you just press skip. And you're just happy yeah. to not even get a reward for the fight. You're just like, no, the reward for this fight is my that reward I, is do not, not clutter. I, I do not clutter up my deck. And yeah. um, I think that's a real, like, uh, when you realize that, you feel like, oh, yes. Yes, this makes more sense. That's interesting, because I never did that. There's a brilliant thing where um, some enemies, especially the bosses, put new cards into your deck like wounds and stuff like that so like you'll get a wound card and that then gets shuffled into your deck 
So they then become a thing that you draw out that one takes space in your hand that could be a good card, but sometimes it'll actually hurt you or do bad things to you. And I can't remember the name of the boss, but there's one that sets you on fire quite a lot. It's called a Hexaghost. Hexaghost, that's it. The first time I ran into that, it it just ended up, I had, because I was very good at surviving. I could block a lot of its damage and I had loads of hit points, uh, but I just was basically curling up and protecting myself with my shield and not doing any damage to it, just trying to hide from it. And eventually, I had more fire cards in my deck than actual cards of my own. So every time I drew a hand, it would just be like five cards that say you're on fire. It was just like, oh no, oh no. So it's just lying on the floor on fire for for hours, it felt like. And eventually I burned to death, yeah. Um, I got a really good um, a really good build where uh, I would, um, anytime I exhausted a card, which is the card just leaves not just your hand and goes into your discard pile for later, but actually just leaves the game. Like, you can't play with it anymore during that fight. I got a, a, a relic that meant I dealt damage to every enemy if a card became exhausted. And there are some enemies that deas you. They're basically like, I don't know, shine a bright light in your eye and you become dazed. Um, and those cards fill up your hands like those burns. Um, but when, when after you're done with them, they don't stay in your deck. Like they don't clutter up your deck for the rest of the fight. They just kind of disappear and exhaust. So I had a character who effectively got so dazed by bright lights that he lashed out in anger <laughs> at this and just killed everyone whenever he got too dazed or confused um and i just thought it was so fun because i just pictured my character just walking around like really blind and annoyed just scrabbing at everybody that card formed a major part of my deck as well um the one that does damage and exhausts every other card in your hand Mm, yeah partly because i had another power another because the powers stack that um meant every time I exhausted a card, I gained block, which synergized with my other power, which meant I was still doing damage when I got the block. Synergized, yeah. well done. You said the word. You know what? After trying to slay that spire for a long time and Matt waltzing in here like this, I'm on the spire's side now. Wanna crush <laughs> your little synergized deck. <laughs> <laughs> Let's return to survival games. Uh, we've asked our readers, what's your favorite survival game? Are you exhausted by the genre? And tell us why. Uh, and let's see what they've said uh, very quickly because we don't have a huge amount of time left. Campfire Burning, which is a good survival name, says Miasmata, which is one I'd forgotten about actually. It's the one where you're trapped on an island with a horrible beast and you're trying to make what is it like herbal remedies um from different plants and stuff and i think that that's a good shout so many survival games feel like they're sticking to a formula he says or she says i don't know within a set list of rules that define a genre miasmata still features gathering exploration crafting deadly monsters well one deadly monster but it's doing it its own way i feel like it's a good shout yeah, definitely. Um, Mother Tucker says, uh, definitely Dwarf Fortress. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I could see that. The adventure mode, right? Or, well, I guess the, even the even the 
yeah, I mean, management the, the, feels survivally sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's you know it's about being up against the odds and dying horribly. So yeah, why not? Master Noob says RimWorld because Minecraft clones got boring two years ago, <laughs> which is a really cutting way to dismiss the whole genre. <laughs> Joseph Walker says sick. I am simply sick and tired of the whole crafting mechanic. Every single release has to come, has to have some form of crafting in it, and it just seems forced. It needs to quietly go away for a while. Um, but then he also says, I just started playing Escape from Tarkov. Fantastic game, if not a bit buggy. So, <laughs> <laughs> what else? Yi Long says, Super Meat Boy. Wow, well, no, that's just silly. I mean, then every platformer kind of qualifies if we're going to take that side. I mean, every, every game, and, yeah. you know. Any game where you try and avoid dying. <laughs> I need to write that article sometime about The Sims as the ultimate survival game. Wow. One of the yeah. replies has been um, marked as possibly offensive and it was hidden, but I revealed it. And it is possibly offensive, so I'm not reading that out. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, or is the other ones? Let's see what our Facebooks peoples have said. Pete Andrews says a similar thing. Would be nice if there'd be more experimentation with things beyond the first-person shooter style. I'd love a good RTS-style survival game, something like Last Stand, but more fleshed out than a browser game, which I think is yeah something that we've we've mentioned. I don't know if uh, They Are Billions is kind of tapping into that a little bit. Yeah, it's like a kind of... um, A little bit, yeah. It's like... I heard, um, was it Kotaku or someone wrote a article, the headline was They Are Billions is a Turtler's Dream. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, if you just want to make a game for Turtlers, an RTS game for Turtlers, that's a brilliant pitch to make, and mm. if they've done that, then that's great. I do think it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a stretch to say it's I mean, the, like the core of it is still yeah. finding resources in the RTS way, although, thinking about it, I guess there's a lot of overlap between finding resources yeah to make things better yeah funnily enough i was playing Northguard after you guys oh, yeah. recommended it last year and i was like this has got a lot of survival elements actually the the sense of impending disaster and having mm. to prepare for it feels very survivally to me it's true yeah but super meat boy is not no we're Sorry. still not putting super meat boy in <laughs> fred Ahrens says seven days to die still try to figure out what could improve it i don't know if he means that it's bad or good um, I quite liked Seven Days to Die when I played it. It was just zombie Minecraft, but it had a thing where every, I don't know if it is every seven days or just every a certain amount of time, a big horde shows up and just comes at you. Uh, and you have to try and prepare for that every time. And uh, so it's like they are billions, but first person Minecraft, they are billions and there's not billions. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to read out. That's all I'm going to read so, out, because a few other things are just people being nasty. So I'm not going to do Oh, that. what about survival games or about you? Uh, no, about, about survival games. I think they do annoy people. I think that, um, I think there's, a, there's this strange conception that, that there are loads and loads of them uh, and that they're kind of taken over. There's not. They're just the ones they are get talked about a lot um, because they tend to be very popular and they tend to attract big audiences yeah and i think a lot of developers or publishers tend to look at a trend and say yes we need it needs to have this it needs to have crafting it needs to have you know resources needs to have 
habitat base building, you know, stuff like that. But they don't all need to have these things. You can leave one of them out. Yeah, just one. Just leave one out. Yeah. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to review us on iTunes, that would be fab. I don't know if anyone ever has. You can probably be the first person to do it. We ask every week, and I don't know if what, anybody doesn't. Um, I'm just going to stop asking from next week. But you can also just like it or just tell your friends that you listen to this podcast and it's good. That's probably a better way to go about it. We are also on Twitter and Facebook at Rock Paper Shot. If you want to email us with any suggestions for future topics, themes, or have any questions for us, podcast at rockpapershotgun.com is how you get a hold of us. We're all on Twitter. Adam, what's your Twitter? Non-economical. Matt, what's your Twitter? Coxix, which is spelt with an extra X. Sorted. I'm Brendy underscore C on Twitter, so you can annoy us all there if you want. And that is it. Uh, I will also mention that we also have a, an extra special podcast thing this week, which is an interview with uh, the developer of Subnautica, the guy who answered the quickfire questions earlier, Charlie Cleveland. So give that a listen before or after this as well because it's only 50 minutes long and you might learn something you might learn something you will you will learn something all right that's all we have time for thank you very much bye 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 Occasionally, you'll draw a wound card out the door. <laughs> oh, come on, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. Right. Done. Finished. My little peanut. <laughs> <laughs>